All right. Well, good evening, everyone. Ryan Zimmerman here, executive editor of Jazz Is Magazine, here to welcome you to another episode of the Jazz Is Last Call. Uh, to those longtime viewers out there, welcome back. And to those of you joining us for the first time, you sure picked a good episode to come in on. Our guests tonight are the husband and wife team of Cindy Blackman Santana and Carlos Santana, each one an icon in this crossover world that is jazz and rock and Latin music and funk and blues and so much more. Cindy has a new album coming out very soon featuring Carlos. It is called Give the Drummer Some, and it is due out September 18th, 2020. Now, if you are watching and you know someone who may be interested in hearing Carlos and Cindy talk about jazz and their amazing history in music, hit that share button. Let's make this a real jam session. Let's make this a hang. Let's make it a party. Uh, and please don't be shy in that comment section. Let us know where you're watching from. Let us know if you've seen either Carlos, Carlos or Cindy in concert and where. Uh, let us know what your favorite Santana album is. Let us know what your favorite Cindy Blackman album is. And please ask a question or two or three. We will do our best to get to those questions on air. That's right. We could be reading your questions to Carlos Santana and Cindy Blackman Santana in real time. Um, so, all right. That said, let's go ahead and bring in tonight's special guest, Carlos Santana and Cindy Blackman Santana. Hey, are you guys there? Hi. Hello. Hey, thank you so much for joining us tonight. We really appreciate it. Thank you. Our pleasure. Thank you. You know, I will start with this. How have you guys been holding up during what has been arguably the craziest four months of anyone's lives? How you guys been doing? You know, we're doing very, very well because, um, you know, uh, we do a lot of meditation, we uh, listen to a lot of music, and we really take this time to um, kind of go inside, you know, and also you know, doing a lot of prayer and, and, and sending of healing energy uh, to, to the world and to people who need it. Um, so we're, we're actually faring very, very well in this, in this crazy time. That's great. Yeah, I read an article, uh, Carlos called this the great pause. Um, and that's kind of what it is. You know, it's a time to reflect and slow down and we're not running all over the place. For those mm -hmm. of us in the music industry, we're not touring, you know, it's a time to stand still. And I guess you're right. So the best thing to do in those times is to look inward. Um, so I'm glad to hear you're doing well. Uh, the new album is awesome. Uh, give the drummer some. Great title, great James Brown quote. Um, it has been, it's coming out September 28th, 2020, which if I'm not mistaken, is the 50th anniversary of Jimi Hendrix's passing when he left this dimension and went on to the next. So a timely album. It's been three years in the making. I've heard you say that it was kind of like a summation of your career, but also a next step. Um, and I think because you're, you're kind of making your vocal debut um, as a lead vocalist on this album. Is that correct? Absolutely. Yes. Um, and, you know, it, it just kind of happened very, very organically because um, I certainly wasn't planning on doing that much singing. Really, at first, wasn't planning on doing any singing. Um, and Carlos really convinced me to to sing. And uh, then the songs just kind of came, you know, like I said, in a very organic way. So it's um, a very natural happening <laughs> Very cool. Carlos, well, hey, thanks for pushing her towards singing because you have a great voice and singing and drumming. You're in rare company there and not many drummers that can do it all. Um, so very cool. Carlos, you are featured on eight tracks on this album. Um, now, I don't have to remind you about Cindy's amazing jazz pedigree, but for everyone watching, I mean, Cindy has played from everybody from Ron Carter to Pharaoh Sanders to Kenny Garrett, real, real jazz heavyweights. Um, Carlos... This session, did it feel more like a jazz kind of recording or a rock or it's jazz rock fusion, but was it nice to be kind of close to that jazz flame? Uh, well, thank you for asking. Uh, I have never looked at it like this is this kind of bad or this is this kind of like swimming pool. I just look at it like I take a deep breath and play from my heart, whatever gets mm -hmm. in front of me. You know, uh, I, I like Miles and Coltrane and the people that I love, yeah. they don't call it jazz, they call it life. We play life. So everything that I learned, you know, from Coltrane to Miles and John Lee Hooker and Tito Puente for all the Tunji, uh, 
because I don't say, well, okay, I'm gonna go to this part of the library and gonna co compartmentalize my brain to to articulate jazz. I mean, I, who thinks like that, you know? <laughs> I, I just like, okay, this is food in front of me and it looks really good and I'm gonna eat it up, you know? It's delicious. Yeah. Yeah. Sid is preparing it, so it's gotta be delicious, you know? <laughs> So true. You're absolutely right. I mean, jazz, you know, by and large was a label that was dropped onto the music. Miles never considered him a, himself a jazz musician, ditto for Coltrane. So many of the greats, this was just their music, you know, this was life music, exactly like you said. Um, and it is, the this album really defies genre. Um, it is so passionate. Well, another thing I like about it is that's kind of a reunion of sorts uh, with cars, guitarist John McLaughlin, who makes an appearance on a couple of these tracks as well. Carlos, we'll get to your history with John in a minute. You know, but Cindy, as a drummer, what was it like to just play next to the powerhouse nuclear reactor that was John McLaughlin and his guitar? <laughs> he is exactly that. I mean, <laughs> you know, he, he's got so much exuberance. And, you know, he's, he's one of our innovators in the music, you know, as well as being an innovator on the guitar. So it's, um, to be in his presence is, is just, it's enlightening, you know, yeah. because he's got, you know, so much facility, yet so much heart, you know. So this album is, 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 is has really, um, it really lets my 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 love for for guitar players shine because I, I love the guitar. So you know, I mean, you know, we have two huge icons on there. You know, Carlos and 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 uh, and John, um, and then we have the two we have two of the young lion icons on there. You know, being Vernon and and, and, and Kirk. So That's right. you know, I'm I'm in guitar heaven over here. <laughs> Yes, as we all be. Again, when the album comes out September 28th, there are some singles out right now, including um, this cover you guys did of Imagine, John Lennon's Imagine. We should say the bulk of the tracks on the album are originals, um, but you have a beautiful rendition of John Lennon's Imagine. And the song is raising money, right, for uh, Why Hunger, which is an organization that aims to reduce hunger worldwide? Okay. Yes, yes, it is. So any, any, any proceeds, you know, are, are going to that organization and to song aid 100%, you know, we're, we're not taking anything. Um, and fortunately for us, Yoko Ono uh, really loves the song and is offering her proceeds as well. You know, so this is really to help. Um, so it, it, it goes very far, the donations and, and the help from people, you know, uh, uh, for this song really go to help our brothers and sisters who, who uh, are, are really in need. And especially right now, because, you know, times are, are tough right now. A lot of people are not working, you know, and yeah. a lot of people are not going to be working for a while. So, you know, we love and appreciate all the support that we've, we've gotten and we're getting. And we just ask that everyone keeps supporting um, because this is, this is a way that we can all help. That's right. Again, that uh, single, Imagine, is out now. You can stream it now. Um, you know, you started working on this three years ago, but it's incredible that that song um, and a few others on this album, like Social Justice, which is another really powerful song on its album, take on a whole new resonance now, wouldn't you say? It's like to hear th those songs today, it's a whole new meaning. Oh, man, absolutely. And, you know, we, we love songs and, and messages that, um, really depict the times and really help, you know, really help people and really help us get into the space that we need to be in order for us all to raise not only our own vibrations, but the vibrations of everybody on the planet. And so imagine, you know, is we're just really happy that, it, that, it, that it, the timing worked out to be what it did because this message is so important to renew so that we can really start seeing that and thinking about that. And in this time when, you know, things have, have really slowed down and there is, as Carlos said, this great pause, this, you know, even more so than, than when the, the song initially came out and it's always had impact because that's the kind of song it is and it always will, but there wasn't that great pause. Now we have this pause where we can really, really stop and really ingest that and think about that and then put it into effect 
you know, with changing our actions, our attitudes, and our thoughts, which are, are really, you know, a, a, a big key, because thoughts create things, thoughts make things. So this is really important. And social justice, too. Um, I'm, really, I'm really proud of that song, because we need, we need to change things. And, and speaking of change things, there's another song called Changes in Your Hands. Mm-hmm. And that lets us know that we have the power to, to change things. We have the power to um, write our own script and dictate how this story is going to go. And if we leave that power into the hands of some other energies, then I don't think we're going to like it very much. <laughs> it's so true. Yeah. And, you know, again, just a testament to the power of your music. To, it was written three years ago, and here it is resonating on a whole new frequency today. Um, the singles are out there. They're great. And again, people just joining us, the new album, Give the Drummer Some, is coming out September twenty, September 18th, 2020. Carlos, I got to say thank you so much for convincing uh, Cindy to sing because uh, you have a beautiful voice and you really, what did she resist at all? Was she open to the idea? How'd that conversation go down? Well, it all started with uh, being with Cindy in a car. And every time we get into the car from San Francisco to Napa, we, you know, we go to for the weekend. And then uh, we, of course we always put on the, the, the music and it's always the quintet is Miles, David, Herbie, Ron and Tony. And, and I'm driving and she's singing everyone's parts on every song. <laughs> you know, she, I, she's literally singing Miles' parts, Wayne's parts, Curry's parts. And I looked around like, dang, you know? <laughs> I mean, it, but besides that, the, the, the wonderment of that, I'm hearing her voice and it's like a singing diamond child, you know? And I'm like, mm-hmm. you know, so I said, I know that I shouldn't be pushy or imposing However, I, I have learned that it's all in the presentation timing and, and offer something as an musician. So I said, no, uh, Cindy, I love hearing your voice, the timbre in your voice. And uh, I, I wonder if you would consider singing on your next CD, one, and two, maybe connecting with Narada Michael Walden, who produced mega hit singles for Whitney Houston and Mariah Carey and Celine everybody, you know? Yeah. So, so I, I just went in there uh, hoping that I would be able to share with the four corners of the world her heart's voice, because we know that, you know, as, as a drummer, she is right there with the people that I love, you know, like Coltrane and Stevie Ray and Jimi Hendrix. There's a certain kind of people that I know. They sound like a. It's the language of light and and the power of a tornado or a hurricane or or earthquake, you know. But in a, in a positive way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I'm saying? It's not pedestrian. It's not kind of sort of wish wishy washy stuff. You know, this this is on a whole other different level of energy. So that's what I'm talking about. So the other thing that I noticed is that Cindy and I would talk about different things in life, you know, especially because we have the time to do it right now. We're crystallizing in this particular pause time, we're crystallizing intentions, motives, and purpose. Some people said when I was uh, in 72, they said, someone said that there's nothing new under the sun, according to the Bible or someone. Mm-hmm. You know, and, I, and I was listening to Miles Davis uh, on the corner in Caravan Sarai, which were two things that were really, really sticking out in, 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 in music. Uh, so I said, well, wait a minute. If nothing is new under the sun, why the hell get out of bed? You know, <laughs> if you create something new, you know, so I said, there's got to be a different thing to this. Being so young, I thought like that. Right. Now I thought, well, there's got to be something to, uh, I can understand that in heaven, you can't improve on perfect perfection, okay? However, I have discovered in with Cindy that in heaven, you also always find the unknown mm. and unpredictability. Right. Those two words to me is what jazz is. Yes. The unknown and unpredictability. So when I see someone like uh, Keith Jarrett, you know, sit on the piano and have a total blank mind. Yep. Out no of thin air. 
Yeah. And you just play and you like uh, uh, streaming uh, a big chunks of galactic uh, universe, heaven. So I said, oh, that's what it is, man. You can, you have, we have been blessed with thirst to discover the unknown and curiosity to do the unpredictable. Yeah. And that's what Cindy's, uh, being with Cindy is, you know, we, we, we're constantly listening to Coltrane or Sonny Chirac or Tony Williams, of course, Wayne. And every time we hear it, it's new, fresh, and, uh, and it's healing, which is what the point of this album. This album is about healing, uh, people not having any hope and courage in their own life. You know, because people have been bamboozled, you know, it's like, uh, you're not worth your God's grace, and you're not da, 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 da. So it's almost like torture tales, you know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I know we're going to get in trouble with uh, some people, yeah. but then I say, look, man, look, I, if, if you're angry and if you're not happy, your religion is not working. If you're happy and feeling uh, seamless ease, and that's because you're doing the same thing Jesus did. Jesus said, I am that I am, I am the light, over and over until he became uh, an immortal with, but just like Coltrane practice, Jesus practice, you know? Jesus practice, I am that I am, I am the light. And so he has become something that people can say, well, he said, I am that I am, I am the light. And God made us in his image so therefore, I have the capacity if I, again, focus. You know, that's a key word. The yeah. difference between Einstein and pedestrians is focus. That's what a genius says. They focus and they don't let it go until they <laughs> get it. Get it? You know? So anyway, I, I feel really uh, grateful as a bystander. The last thing is a bystander. Oh, certainly this uh, revelation of Cindy's new CD. Listen, it, it, it debuted 4th of July on CNN, Four Corners of the World. It was one of the last things that they played. And when they presented it, uh, I heard, we, we, as soon as they presented it, we looked outside our window and there was a double rainbow, mm -hmm. just just as, as loud as Jimi Hendrix, because it was yeah. electric rainbow, okay? Yeah. And two, and Tumi texted me and he said, what the F? You know, <laughs> and he was freaking out, what the F, you know, Cindy, Sam, you know. Then Wayne Shorter calls it, and Carolina, and he's bugging out, man. I mean, and he's going crazy about the end, because he's, he's, he kept, in a, in a beautiful way, uh, expressing his exuberance. Yeah. Of Cindy and I taking that song to a whole other level, folks. Here's the word again, inner G. Yes. So thank you for listening. Uh, if where we are right now is we know we have the power to make miracles and blessings with our energy. That's what it's about. <laughs> it absolutely is. And you, you know, the same energy that came out of Jimi Hendrix's guitar, you're right, is probably the same energy that can cast two rainbows across the sky. And there's something, you know, so, so profound about that mindset of being to accept things as it is. And just like you say, this is the jazz mindset. This is the mindset that Miles tapped into, that Coltrane tapped into, and that Einstein, uh, that Einstein uh, tapped into as well. So uh, this new album definitely gets you on that plane. You know, we mentioned that this is your big vocal debut, Cindy, but you have sung before, um, and it was on your tribute album to Tony Williams, Another Lifetime. <laughs> Carlos brought up the man, the myth, the legend, uh, Tony Williams. I know he was a huge influence on you. So tell me about the first time you heard Tony and what impact he had on your drumming and on your career. Ah, the first <laughs> time I heard Tony um, on record was uh, there was a guitar player. My older sister, Anasa, she used to sing. And uh, both my sisters sing. My younger sister, Tracy, does too. And, and Anasa sang. And uh, she had a guitar player friend by the name of Greg Chappelle who said, you know, if you want to be a drummer, you have to listen to this guy. And so he took me over to his house and put me in his basement, put a record on, and he and his family were upstairs eating or something, I don't know. And the record just blew me away. 
Yeah. And I said, who the heck is that? And he said, um, that's Tony Williams. And, and it was uh, uh, live in Europe. Ooh, and, great album. Yeah. That was my very first introduction to, to hearing Tony was live in Europe. And then he put on uh, Four and More. And so I was just completely blown away. And I went to, to, to school, you know, the next day and I was telling everybody about this drummer, Tony Williams. I couldn't stop talking about this drummer. And then about a week or so later, a couple friends of mine, some musician friends, they said, oh, you know that, that guy you keep talking about, Tony Williams? He's about to do a, a drum clinic on Sunday at Creative Music. And there was a drum store in Wethersfield called Creative Music owned by uh, Bob Gatson, who's one of the inventors of the Noble and Cooley drums. Um, and so uh, I, I begged my mom for a ticket. I was like, I have to go see this drummer. I got to go. Please, please, please. <laughs> so she, she took me. She dropped me off. She, you know, nobody, I went by myself. You know, my mom dropped me off. And from the first note, Tony just completely blew me away. He blew my socks off. I mean, it was just so incredible. His sound, first of all, just the way he sat behind the drums was amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I was ready just from looking at his stature on the drums. It his was like, okay, yeah. yeah, this cat is coming to hit and he ain't messing around. You could tell, you know, the drum setup was incredible. You know, the drums looked beautiful. When he sat down and played, it was otherworldly. It was just him and a bass player. I think it was Bunny Brunel on bass. Um, wow. And just him and, and, and a bass player and doing this drum clinic and it was incredible i'd never seen anything like that in my life it just just blew my mind and and so you know i knew that that was the path that i had to follow and i, and I really felt like you know if i'm not chasing that path i'll just stay home and read books or something because i just don't need to be doing it you know that that is either that path or no path for, for me right because the, the level is so high and, and so intense you know in fact my my all my young friends were into um Star Wars. And I was okay. like, I, I, I'm playing drums. I don't want to go. I don't want to see that movie. And finally, they I was bored seeing Tony. <laughs> That's how much Tony affected me. <laughs> you, yeah. I <laughs> saw Tony instead of Star Incredible. Incredible. Um, yeah. And he was a legend. What's so interesting, too, about Tony is a lot of people that grew up admiring him. He wasn't much older than them, you know. He was he joined Miles Group when he was what 17, 18. 16, so yeah. 16 when he joined 16, Miles. Right. And he was he was an innovator before that. Because yeah. if you listen to him on records, you know, um Gracian Moncour's record, um, you know, uh he 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 played so many of the avant garde cats, you yeah. know. He played with Jackie McLean, that's who brought him to New York. Yeah. You know, listen to all those avant garde records he did, um, Sam Rivers, you know. Um, so, you, you know, even before he got with Miles, he was an innovator. So he innovated then, and then he innovated when he got with Miles several times, many times. We could go through that if you want to. And then he innovated after that, you know, and he kept innovating, and you know, until he decided that he was going to leave this world. Yeah. Yeah. So true. we will definitely be talking more Miles and more Tony. Carlos, I'm curious, you know, coming up in San Francisco, were there live shows, um, you know, a jazz artist or a blues artist who had a similar effect on you sitting in the audience, you know, and made you say, OK, I want to pursue this. I was really blessed to be in San Francisco and ground zero for yeah. consciousness, consciousness, illumination, explosion. Yeah. So I'm in San Francisco when everybody was you know, walking around the street taking acid and mescaline and get Ashbury, and you're listening to Charles Floyd, and you're listening to John Handy, and you're listening to, you know, The Doors, and you're listening to Jimi Hendrix and Ravi Shankar. And it, it was either like square music or mind-expanding real hip music, like Coltrane. Uh, and square music was, you know, square music, you know? Uh, and and then I befriended uh, a gentleman who, for me, is what R. Blakey, I believe, is for Cindy. This gentleman, Armando Pedaza, this conga player, he just like adopted me. Uh, a lot of people adopted me, but <laughs> Bill Graham, <laughs> Armando Pedaza, Tito Fuente, Vivi King. Somehow, you know, they looked something in my eyes and they were able to just stop what they were doing and give me uh, uh, the attention that I needed to make me feel that I was one of them, you know. Uh, so being with Armando, he he was, I'll get, tell you a story that was really important because Cindy just said, 
how Tony was sitting on the drums, you know, the way he his posture. And I, I was I was I was in a in Japan with Armando and and we were watching Al Foster playing with uh, Sonny Sonny Rollins. And, and and Tony Williams all of a sudden comes near near me and and, he, and we're looking at Armando in front of us, and Armando's just you know he's looking at the, the drummer, and Armando and, and uh, Tony Williams says, you know I learned so much from that man when I was a kid you know in, in Boston. I said really Armando? He says yeah. He he Armando mm -hmm. said to me, look young blood. He says that shit that you want to play. You won't be able to do it unless you know how to sit right and breathe correctly. Otherwise, you're going to pass out. You know? Uh, so I was like, Armando said that to you? He says, yeah. He told, me, he told me how to sit on my drums and how to breathe because otherwise, the music that I was going for, I was literally going to faint and pass out. Yeah. Like, <laughs> wow. You know? So for me, Armando uh, is, is one of my main gurus, uh, they, they taught me how to, a lot of things, you know, how to, how to deal with uh, royalty checks. You yeah, know? the business stuff is important. Yeah, too. Yeah, 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 yeah. How to stop saying, well, I can play the guitar, man, you know, and start really looking at the, who's booking the planes and the hotels and why are you staying in Motel 6 when you're like headlining, you know? Yeah. Uh, so I learned a lot of that when, with, um, Armando Pedraza and being on that tour with Wayne Shorter. We did 22 concerts in 88. And uh, for me, it's been, it's been a revelation that uh, this sentient, uh, incredible architects, they, they were able to uh, invite me into the realm. Uh, one of the first ones also was Alice Coltrane. Right, who, sure. Who invited me to her house for about a week. And she would play from two o'clock in the morning to like four, play the piano, then the harp, you know, and then the world is there. And I learned how to be into a place where you can really quiet the monkey mind. Right. So you can actually see and hear Coltrane coming at you with two scoops of ice cream. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, two two big ice cream cones and and three little fla three flavors on each one, and he said, "Carlos, just taste one." You know, and this is all inside. That was the vision you had, yeah. But it felt real. This was this at the ashram. This was at Alice Coltrane, wife of John Coltrane. It's yeah. her house, you know. Oh, it's her house, right? And, and and I'm like, I'm looking at him with, you know, this this ice cream in front of me, and 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 then she says, "Taste one, try one." And I'm like, well, wait a minute, how can she know what's happening inside my meditation? Because it's silent, you know? <laughs> so I said, okay, so I took, I took a lick of, of one of the flavors, and he says, that's a B-flat 7, something diminished 7. I'm like, whoa. <laughs> you know? And then she goes, good, huh? <laughs> yeah. She goes, buy another one, you know? So for, for me, I've been blessed like a shaman to yeah. learn to be around supreme musicians like Alice and Coltrane. And they, they help me to trust when to taste the other side flavors right. and make them accessible on this side like Coltrane did and like Jimi Hendrix did. Because as a real musician, you're supposed to bring the, the inner world into the outer world and help people believe that you can also have access to absoluteness. I, I know a lot of people might say, well, it's really far out for me. And that's okay, man. You can say whatever you want to. My craziness is happening. How is your sanity working for you? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, and I think people meet, you know, they're, they're willing to meet however far they're willing to go, you know, into someone else's inner vision or that consciousness you're projecting like as they're listening like that beautiful album you did with alice illuminations um you know you could access that album on on many many levels um so yeah that was that was very cool to hear um john coltrane's ice cream how about that was now i want to walk it back a little bit farther to you know again coming out of san francisco around the time you were starting the santana blues band 
kind of much in the mold of a lot of the blues rock bands going on at the time. Uh, Mike Bloomfields, Paul Butterfields. Um, when did you make the leap, you know, from being a San Francisco scene band to here you are recording your first album, you know, Santana. And what was that like? It was wonderful, you know, uh, being at the Fillmore, uh, which my, which was my alma mater, you know, uh, I would go there and I'm hearing Bolasete, Charles Lloyd, and Paul Baddick. And yeah. one, you know, and then wow. you go Orsavo and Jimi Hendrix, you know. <laughs> so for me, I was like, uh, by the way, when, when this thing happened with the ice cream and cold cream, I kept hearing, I love ice cream. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, no, it was a wonderful opportunity, man, to be different with all respect to all the other bands, you know, the yeah. Bread, Quicksilver, uh, Big Brother, and, and, uh, and somehow we came out, Bill Graham called us a street mutt musician because we were taken from B.B. Uh, King and from yep. Tito Puente and all right. of them. We were just compressing it all into us. We didn't know what, what to call it. We just, you know, uh, Eddie Harris, listen here. Uh, and Bill Graham says, you are a perfect child of B.B. King and Tito Puente. And then he adopted me more than any other musician in the band. He just like really put uh, special attention to me to uh, to the point where he is the one that opened the door for us to be in Woodstock. We didn't even have it. Yep. We did not even have an album out. And Bill Graham fought for us to be in Woodstock. He said, he, he said to Michael Lang, I'll help you, but you got to have Santana in, in, in there. And they go, what's, what's Santana? You know, he says, well, you see. You know, so again, Bill Graham, Fly Davis, I have had some archangels open doors for me that uh, I'm able to have confidence to be around and humility to be around Wayne Shoulder and Herbie. You know, yeah. um, they, they broaden my, uh, uh, my scope to, to, because you have to believe that you are worthy. See, and that's the opposite of what's happening in this plan. Looks like we may have frozen a bit there. And then you become aware that you are worthy to create miracles and blessings as well. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I would love to talk Woodstock. Um, and before we get into, obviously, your side, Carlos, Cindy, as a young musician, you know, and I know you were young at the time, um, were you, was this on your radar of, hey, there's this happening thing out in upstate New York and a bunch of bands are going to go out there? Was it on your radar? Not at all. <laughs> I didn't know anything about it. I'm, I'm a little kid from Yellow Springs, Ohio. You know, so when that happened, I was a child, you know, playing on my street, you know, doing my kid stuff. I had no idea that that was going on. No idea. I think my, my older sister, she must have known about it, you know. Yeah. Um, but for me, I, no, I, I didn't. I didn't have any 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 inkling. <laughs> Carlos, did you know that it would be what it would eventually be, or what did they bill it? How did they bill it to you going in? There's this big jam out in the farm of upstate New York. Bill Graham said, "Look, uh, I want you to come to this house. I want to have a meeting with the whole band. I want to talk to you guys." We're like, oh, "Okay, here we go." <laughs> and so we went there, and he. Uh, he said, look, what's happening to the Doors and Jimmy and Sly, you know, some stuff is, well, what do you mean, what, what's happening with them? He said, you know, there's certain, certain things started to happen to them that uh, is, is really messing up with their heads. They're like, what? You know, and because most people cannot handle, you know, the, the mega stage. Right. Like, you know, Prince and Michael Jackson and Whitney Houston. It's a certain stage that if you're not equipped to deal with it, it will hurt you, you know. Right. And and he was, we're like, no, man, we're from the Mission District. That's not the problem that happened to us, man. We're some street battles, you know. We don't know, man. And he goes, no, 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 no. He says, I'm I'm working it out so you be in this in this uh, festival, and after you play this festival, you will never be the same. And we go, well, what do you mean? We're never going to be the same. He says, your head's going to be your head's going to become so big. You're going to need a shoehorn to get into a room. And he, he just started breaking it down for us, the psychological things that were going to happen with 
I had no idea of what happened because, of course, I was under the influence. Oh, on top of the influence, not under. There you go. Over the over the influence of ayahuasca, mescaline, LSD, whatever I took. Yeah. And in front of in front of hundred thousand people, it was a miracle that it was I, I, I could actually articulate. You know, it was <laughs> and But it wasn't until Devin, which was Jimi Hendrix lady, said, uh, "Welcome to New York." Jimmy just left for Hawaii, and we went to see the movie last night. I go, what movie? He goes, Woodstock. I go, Woodstock? She goes, you didn't know? I said, no. I said, they made a movie out of Woodstock. I said, come on, man. Get ready. I'll, I'll take you there. So, so we went We went to see the movie, and you know, I sat through it, and all of a sudden she goes, you guys are next. And she goes, when Jimmy heard and saw your part, you guys was part. It blew him away. I go, mm. I go like, what? You know, <laughs> and, and again, we're talking about not necessarily Carlos or Santana or even the band. We're talking about a, a, a energy. Yeah. You know, there was a certain energy that for me was Lifestone, even though he went 2.30 in the morning. <laughs> Lifestone, Jimi Hendrix, and Santana, and anybody else can fight for fourth place. You know, <laughs> it, was, it, was, it was definitely like that for me because yeah. I was I was there and, and, and Sly Stone was beyond spectacular. Yeah. yeah, I think many would agree, you know, and to see what you guys say, talk about energy, what you could do with a song like Evil Ways, which by the way, that I mean, the, the covering that tune, that was a Willie Bobo tune, right? From a Verve jazz, you know, Latin CD. Kind of like a party mixer CD. When that was proposed to cover that tune, were you like, what? How, how can we make that groove? Well, again, Bill Graham said, I want you guys to come to my office. And we're like, oh, here we go again. You know, And we go to his office and he says, close the door. He says, look, I noticed that you guys don't play songs. You just played long ass jam. <laughs> yeah. And, and these jams don't have any beginning or middle or end. You guys keep going. He says, and I want you guys to learn how to play a song. You go, what do you mean a song? You know, like intro, verses, chorus, and like, what? <laughs> you know, he says, and by the way, I, I have a good friend named Willie Bobo, and I was talking to him, and I was, I told him, Willie, I, I have a band, and I was like, well, why would you say that? He says, here's the song. And he put the song, and the song was written by Sonny Henry, uh, uh, Evil ways, and you know we did what we did with it. You know, at that time we were listening to Eddie Harris and yeah. uh, Vince Guaraldi. You know, that's where we were coming from, from Bernal right. Heights, in Francisco. And so we did what we could with it, and before we know it, uh, you know, it jumped out of the album right after a week after Woodstock. It's that energy. It is that energy. You know, Cindy Carlos talks about making this huge leap from not even having recorded an album to playing Woodstock. You made a similar huge leap audience-wise when you signed on to play with Lenny Kravitz in the early 90s. I mean, you were a jazz drummer playing clubs. And I understand there was kind of an interesting story with how you ended up auditioning for him. Um, if you could call it an audition, it was right? Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, it was, a, it was a big leap, I think, more for people than, than, than for me in terms yeah, of what true. I had grown up with because... In my house, we had all kinds of music. So, you know, I, I, I really liked where he was coming from with what he was doing um, once I got to know the music. Um, but uh, my friend, um, uh, Antoine Roney, great saxophonist, uh, he, he is buddies with, with, with Lenny. And he, and, he, and he called me one day and he said, you know, I've been talking to my friend Lenny and uh, he, he needed a drummer last time I talked to him and, and, you know, I don't have his number, but if he calls me again and he's still looking for a drummer, would you like to talk to him? And I said, who's Lenny? <laughs> I had no idea who he was. <laughs> yeah. Wow. And he said, oh, he's the guy, he was, he was married to Lisa Bonet. And I said, well, I know Lisa Bonet. <laughs> then he start? Said, okay. Yeah, he said, he said he's a rock and roll musician and he, and he, and he likes, uh, he likes Gretsch drums, he likes K-cymbals and, and he likes Miles. I'm like, Really? I want to meet him just because I like what he's into. I didn't know that rock and roll musicians like that. So yeah. cool. I, he's got ears. I, I'm, I'm into that. So, um, you know, my friend called me a, a few months later. I had actually kind of, you know, forgotten about the conversation because it was, you know, a few months that, that had, had passed. 
and um, he patched Lenny and I through. And, and Lenny said, do you have uh, uh, drums set up in your apartment? And I said, yeah. And he said, well, can you play some? So I put the phone down and, and I played. And I came back to the phone. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, could you hear anything? Because, you know, the phone speaker told me when I wasn't really yeah. off. So <laughs> he said, yeah, I can hear it. Um, I'm in L.A. Can you fly out here right now? And I said, okay. So the next morning, 6 o'clock, you know, I was on a flight and went out to L.A. And, you know, he had said, you know, just pack for two days. Come out with no strings attached. Just come play with my band. We'll see how it feels. And then I'll send you home. So I just figured, you know, I'd go out and. And, and meet some more musicians. I had never been to LA before. I get to play with some, some rock and roll cats, meet some people I didn't know, you know, um, and have a good time for a couple of days and then, then come home. Um, so I, I, I did that. And um, when I got there, there ended up being this full scale um, audition. And um, we were waiting on the, on the instruments to, come, to arrive from SIR. Uh, and apparently the, the delivery was, was a little bit Late, they were a little tardy. <laughs> but I saw people starting to come in, and I saw one cat coming with a bass drum pedal. I'm like, well, okay, I guess the drums are arriving. I saw somebody coming with a snare, somebody coming with sticks. I'm like, oh, these are drummers. Nobody's going to deliver drums like that. So there were about 40 drummers at, at this uh, audition. And um, I had, you know, jet lag. I didn't sleep that much the night before because I was excited about the trip and everything, got up early to go. and. Uh, so I went outside on the lawn and, and, and fell asleep on a lawn chair. <laughs> and they started the audition. They auditioned one person, and, and his assistant came out, uh, Deborah, and she says, oh, you know, Lenny was looking for you, but, you know, we started already because we couldn't find you. Come on, it's your turn to play. So I went in and played, and, and actually he said, you know, I'm calling the audition off. I'm going to take Cindy, you know. Um, and uh, apparently his, his manager, I believe, um, I, I wasn't there, but I was told that his manager said, well, man, you got like 39, 38, you know, other people out there waiting to audition. It's not really fair. You should hear them. So he did. And he actually found one guy in there that he liked. And there was a guy flying, uh, Michael Lee was flying from, uh, from London uh, the next day. So the following day, he had me play opposite the guy from the first day. And, and then the guy play, I played the guy play, and he still liked my playing. And then when Michael Lee got there, we did the same thing. And he still uh, preferred my playing. So I then uh, just in that basement there in the house for about two weeks learning all the music. You know, I learned all the music and, and uh, rehearsed and, you know, played. And at the end of that, we did the first video that I did with Lenny, which is probably one of my favorite videos ever. Uh, Are you going to go my way? That's right. Yeah. Played yeah. with Lenny for a while, and you know another incredible musician. Guy really knows his music, his music history, his rock history, his jazz history, and you know that seems to be the trend here. Um, we are going to be talking. We're going to be walking it back in a little while to the '70s. Talk some fusion in a bit, but before we do, I want to let anybody watching know about our current uh, print issue. This is our summer 2020 print issue. This is our issue that's out right now. It's all about the age of fusion. Got a nice cover story on Chick Corea in there. Um, it is out right now. It's mailed to subscribers. If you don't have a subscription, that's okay. All of the print content in this issue has been converted to digital web articles on our website. You will need a digital subscription to read them, however. And right now, for fans of Carlos Santana and Cindy Blackman Santana and fans of Jazz's Last Call, we're offering a special subscription rate for just 99 cents per month uh, for three months. You can unlock unlimited digital access to all of the web articles featured in this issue and every other print issue. Plus, we'll enroll you to receive a complimentary print issue come fall when we mail our next one coming out in September 2020, right around the time your guys' new album comes out. This new print issue is all about the art of the album, collecting albums, producing albums, famous album cover art. Again, you sign up now, you get the digital access, plus a complimentary print issue come September. Um, so yeah, I kind of want to walk it back to this era, you know, 1970s, um, fusion at its peak, a lot of crossover, you know, Oyo Komovaz, a hit, Black Magic, I mean, you got hit after hit after hit. I'm curious when, Carlos, you met up with John McLaughlin, because that kind of seemed to be a groundbreaking moment for you as well. Yes. Uh, we were in between, uh, you know, because there used to be two two concerts at the Fillmore, you know, the first concert, and then you have other two other bands playing, and then you come back for the third set, you know, second set. 
Uh, and uh, uh, this gentleman who was like a ballet for B.B. King, uh, he said, hey, man, uh, what are you doing? I says, well, you know, we just finished, so I got a little bit of downtime. He says, you want to come with me? I says, well, where are you going? He says, I'm going to go to Slugs. I go, Slugs? He says, yeah, Tony Williams is playing there. I go, Tony Williams, Tony Williams? He goes, well, I just have my album, you know, Lifetime. Yeah. And he goes, yeah. He was like, okay, let's go. And it was it was a little dangerous to go there because, first of all, this guy was a little different. I didn't know if this guy was going to roll me and beat me up and take my wallet, you know, because he looked like, you know, he looked a little suspicious, you know. But anyway, we got into the cab and we went in there. And when we walked, when I walked in, it was a room, it's almost as big as a closet, you know. And the, the energy was so intense and the music was so loud. My face became like, like an astronaut leaving the earth like this. <laughs> yeah, oh. good music will do that to you. And they were like, in it, man. And then they would stop. <laughs> and then, so quiet. And I, I was like, oh my God. <laughs> you know, and then they took a break. They took an intermission. John McLaughlin gets off the band and comes straight to me. And we and he you know he kind of like grabs me and then we go outside and he goes, Santana, right? I said, yeah. I said, I said, John, I said, I love what you played on Wayne Shoulders Supernova album. You and Sonny Sherlock. He goes, Wayne, yeah, Wayne. And we started talking about Coltrane, Wayne, and Bill Evans, and that was it. All of a sudden, you know, John and I were like uh, forever brothers, you know, we love the same thing. Coltrane, Wayne, Bill Evans, Miles, of course, and, and Tony. And then I, you know, I had a little bit of time, so I, I stuck around for the, a little bit of the second show. But I have never heard, you know, with all respect, I have heard Cream and Led Zeppelin and Jimmy and Loud, and, and, but I never heard anything since or in, in today what that trio was put down. Uh, with uh, because it was not because Cindy's here, you know, uh, because I know how she feels about that trio, specifically about that the trio emergency. Yeah. But for me, it, it was a revelation because I never saw Coltrane live, you know, but seeing uh, the, the emergency live and John McClough and it, when I went back to the Fillmore, I must have had a scary look because the band went, hey, what happened to you? You all right? You know, I was like, man. Your life has just changed. You know, yeah, you know, I, I said, I just saw Tony Williams. And Michael Street goes, you went to see Tony Williams and you didn't tell me? I said, man, I couldn't find you. You know, so that for me opened the door to a whole new multidimension multidimensional musicality of music that's, because see this, musicians need to know this. Sometimes you can see someone playing like, like this trio or Stevie Ray or Miles mm -hmm. and you see in them and you're hearing them and you still cannot believe it. That, right. that, that, they, that they were emanating this kind of musicality, uh, harmonic geniuses, you know, I mean, you want to talk about super fast and blues like Muddy Waters at the same time. So I, I was like, man, I got my work. I, I need to practice, 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 you know, to, to get anywhere near this part of the Pacific Ocean, you know. Because there's an ocean, first of all. And I said it before, uh, there's an ocean, there's a lake, there's a swimming pool, and there's a bathtub. You know, <laughs> they just care. We're all in that ocean. Deep. How deep is the ocean thing? You know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, and to hear you with John, you know, on an album like Love, Devotion, Surrender, playing those Coltrane tracks, I mean, because John left this world way too soon, and you wonder what would have become of that energy. I think that's what would have become of it. You know, he would have been in that scene doing very much what, what you guys were doing. So, um, for those who don't know that album, Love, Devotion, Surrender, you know, Carlos Santana, John McLaughlin, 
Talk about energy off the charts. Um, we'll move a little forward because we're uh, reaching the end of the interview here into the 80s. Both of you guys were pretty heavily ensconced in the jazz scene, you know, the wider jazz scene at the time. Cindy, you with Wallace Roney, um, you know, who, of course, was a disciple of Miles Davis. Miles brought Wallace under his wing. Um, did you ever have a chance to meet Miles during that time? Everybody has a meeting Miles story. Do you have one? Oh, my gosh. I've got, a, <laughs> I've got some great Miles stories. I mean, you know, Wallace and I came to New York together uh, in the 80, early 80s, and he adored Miles, and you know, because he's a trumpet player. That's just, yep. that was his hero. And I adore Miles because, you know, he's one of my musical heroes, too. And uh, so we were trying to find Miles, and we found out where he lived, and I wanted to play with Miles. So we got in my car, and we drove over to Miles' Miles's house, and we sat out there for hours until Miles came out. <laughs> <laughs> Good old-fashioned stalking. Yeah. My brother gave me a station wagon, his station wagon. He went to the service, and he gave me a station wagon. We sat in that big old funky station wagon in front of Miles' house. This morning, I had this letter that I wrote to him and everything because I wanted to play with him, you know. Oh. And so we just waited. We waited. And I had gone up to the to the to the door, and the, the doorman said, um, "Well, he's home. I know he's home." He was being nice because I think he just saw these two kids, you know, just sitting out there. He felt sorry for us. I think he said, "Well, he's home, but you know, they're not coming out yet." You know. So I went up again and I said, "Do you think he's coming out?" And he said, "Well, you know, they just called for their car. Him and Cicely. You know, he's with, married to Cicely Tyson, right? The cool actress." And so he said, well, they just called for their car, so they're coming out soon. I was like, they're coming out soon. Ah! So, you know, he came out, and I, I ran over, and I said, Miles, um, hi, my, my name is Cindy Blackman, and I want to play drums with you. And he went, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so I gave him this letter. I was kind of shaking, and I gave him the letter, and Cicely was looking at me like, what? You know, I gave him the letter. Wow. You know, and then the, the, the time that I, I really hung with Miles, was um, he needed a percussionist and and someone who I believe was my buddy Al Foster, who I was hanging out with all the okay. time. Yeah, incredible and, drummer. Um, yep. Had given him my number, and uh, um, so he called. And you know, we all 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 of us in New York, we love Miles. So everybody was always you know mimicking Miles's voice. Right. So when, when he called, you know, I was like, "What friend is this? You know, is this?" Is this Kenny Garrett or you know Wallace wasn't there at the time? I was thinking, is this Wallace or is this who is this doing this? You know, yeah. it, and then when he went, and I kept saying, who is this? Miles. When he his own name, I'm like, oh, that was Miles because nobody says all the people who mock him so well, nobody says his name like he did, you know, because it's his name. Right. So I knew it was him, and I started sweating really profusely because it was really Miles Davis. Yeah. <laughs> Happily nervous. It was like. I, I just was stammering like I am now. I could feel that moment right now. So he told me that he was looking for a percussionist and that he had called Steve Thorne. He said I called Stevie and I knew who he meant because I knew that, you know, he played with Miles' band. Right. So I probably followed him. He said, I called Stevie, but if he can't make it, I want you to do it. And I was like, okay. Wow. And he said, he said, can you come over? I want to play the new music for you. And I'm like, yes. <laughs> so he invited me over to the Essex house where he was living on 59th Street. I dashed over there, and, and when I got there, um, you know, I went upstairs. He lived up on the, some high floor, I forget. But I, I, I got there, and and uh, I go, to, I go get ready to knock on the door, and I see the sign that says, "Please remove your shoes." <laughs> so I remove my shoes. I, I, I knock on the door, and the door kind of opens a little bit because he left it cracked open, you know. And and I knocked again, and nobody came. I'm like, well, I don't want to just walk in, even though I know he's expecting me. Yeah. And I waited a couple minutes and nothing happened. So I stuck my head in and I said, hello, Miles? And nobody said anything. So I came in and I see like a hundred pair of shoes in the foyer. <laughs> I see shoes in the foyer and then in the front, in front of me, I see on the left wall, all these paintings, a bunch of paintings that yeah. were wrapped up like they were finished and ready to go. Paintings on easels that looked like they were drying and almost finished. Paintings that looked like they were being worked on, other stuff on the floor, paint brushes around. You know, I see all this, you know, painting stuff. And so I, you know, I put my shoes over in the foyer. And then he comes around the corner. This apartment that he had was like a circle. You could walk, like you come into the foyer, you could walk around to the front room, you know, and then you could walk around the apartment like that in a little circle. 
So he comes around this way and he says, go on in. And I was, boy, I was sweating. It was such an amazing moment, you know, and I walked in and I sat down and we talked for like four, almost five hours about music. He talked about, and it's, it's incredible because he talked about Bird and how much he loved Bird. He talked about Max Roach. Yep. And he talked about Tony Williams. Yes. You know? And he adored Tony. He talked about how much he loved Tony, how incredible Tony was. And then he started talking about Art Blakey. And I said, wow. I said, I'm with Art Blakey almost every day because I babysat for Art's kids, you know, oh, and cool. Art was like my papa, you know, it's like yeah. my dad. And, and so I was with him all the time. And he, he went, wow. And he was like, I- I'm telling you, as great as Miles is and as much of an icon as he is, and as scary as he is to some people, I witnessed Miles Davis turning into a little boy. He looked like he was seven years old. He went, you, you talk to Art all the time? And I said, yeah. And I said, do you want to talk to him? And he said, yeah. Can you call, you know his number? And I said, well, of course I do. I had his number, you know, it was in my brain. Cause I yeah. just, you know, I knew I called him all the time. So I called Art and was going to invite him to come up there cause Miles wanted to see him. Unfortunately, he wasn't home. And this is before we all had cell phones and stuff. So there was no way to reach him on New York at the time, but he just, he wasn't at home. So, you know, unfortunately he didn't get up there, but we stayed talking, you know, we talked about the Bird Lives movie, you know, and I can tell you what he said about that, which wasn't too positive. He didn't like Uh-oh. that. You know? <laughs> well, you know, what he said was, was, was pretty correct. He said, you know, he said, I'm alive. He said, Dizzy's alive. Um, uh, Max is alive. He says, why didn't, why didn't they come to any of us, you know, to talk yeah. about that? He said, you know, when, he said, when Red Rodney played with, 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 uh, with, with, with Bird, it was in, in Bird's least productive period, right. you know, at the end of his life. And it, right. he was most drug addicted and least productive period. He said they should have talked to us because we were with him when he was vibrant and creating and doing so many incredible things. So he didn't like the movie. And I said, you know, I didn't like it either. I said, that movie made me cry, you know, mm. um, and, and not cry for it. Not in a good way. Yeah. Not in a good way. Yeah. You know, so we had a really candid, beautiful talk and he played um, some of his new music for me, which at the time uh, they were recording a mandala. And so okay. I got to hear, I got to hear raw tapes that were on cassette. They were actually on cassette. And, and oh, cool. just, you know, some of the, some of the tapes, some of the tracks didn't even, they weren't complete. You know, they didn't have trumpet on them. Right. Um, some of them didn't have drums and they had some minimal things here and there. And he whispered in my ear. He said, would you play, would you play tri- uh, triplets there? And then he whispered these triplets and his diction was so perfect. I can still hear it in my head right now. It was, that day was probably one of the most incredible days of my existence in every lifetime. And I'm telling you, <laughs> it's true. I believe it. <laughs> from that I had or that I will have. That was so incredible. That was 59th Street. I lived at 130th Street. When I left him, I started walking and I felt like I was floating on air. I mean, it was just the most magical moment that I had ever experienced. It was yeah. unforgettable. And I walked and I got to 110th Street. And I would have kept walking, but I was being followed and heckled by some guy on a bicycle. So then I hopped in a cab and I and I took a taxi for the rest of the way home. Otherwise, I would have walked because I didn't floated even, all the way home. Yeah, I would have floated all the way. I mean, it Very was cool. it was no, these, it was amazing. These are the stories you hear, you know, in meeting Miles Davis and you know Carlos. We know you've met Miles. There's video evidence, and you know, for anyone watching, if you haven't seen uh, Carlos join Miles Davis's group at the nineteen was nineteen eighty six Amnesty uh, International concert, uh, you joined for the tune "Burn," and you absolutely hold it down next to Robin Ford. Uh, after this interview is over, you'll go watch that video. It's up on YouTube. Carlos Santana with the Miles Davis group playing "Burn." Um, when did you first meet Miles, Carlos? Tanglewood. Tanglewood, okay. Um, Again, Bill Graham set it up, and he says, okay, you guys are hitting it really big, and you can have anybody who you want on tour. Who would you like? We go, Miles Davis. He go, Miles Davis? I says, yeah, we we want Miles Davis to, 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 we want want to open up for Miles Davis. He goes, well, you can't do that. I go, why not? 
He says, because, because he can't, you know. I go, what do you mean we can't? He says, out of respect for Miles Davis, it's important that you guys let Miles Davis open up. I go, why? He says, because people don't know Miles Davis, and they want they come in to see you. And after they hear you, they might just walk out on Miles because his music is more complex. And they, I'm like, no, man, what are you talking about? He goes, I, listen, I know what I'm talking Bill Graham, like Clyde Davis, you know, they knew certain things that I didn't know. So it was the Boys of East Harlem, Miles Davis, and us. And Miles Davis showed up in a yellow Lamborghini. (laughs) And he, you know, he already heard probably from Bill Graham that I was totally, totally a Miles Davis nut, you know, from sketches of Spain to everything. And so he came right at me and, and, and he brought me this, he gave me this thing. He gave me a gift. Uh, and uh, we just became friends from that moment on. You know, it, it, it felt like the way he looked at me, and I had this, I had this big uh, poster of him that so somebody took. I swear to you, to this day, I can't find who took that picture. You know, and uh, it's a beautiful, beautiful picture of him. And I went and got it, and I said, Miles, would you be so gracious to sign this for me? You know, so he just kind of looked at me. Grab a pen, and he signed to Carlos and the greatest band, Miles Davis. I was like, "Wow, what?" You know. And then from then on, it, it, you know, I got like a zillion stories about uh, Maestro Miles Davis, and I, uh, and in all my life, man, I've been around many, many incredible people and different statues and everything. There's nothing like having Miles Davis eyes on you mm. when he just looks at you and and he says he will say something like, it means so much that you're here. Yeah. You know, and because I don't know if he was like that from what I understand, he wasn't like that with a lot of people, but he always went out of his way to validate my existence and, and be, by being so gracious, uh, you know, he just gave me confidence. Uh, he really filled my life. No matter what anybody else said about me, I said, man, Miles likes me. Who gives a shit what you think about me, you know? And, <laughs> yeah, and, right. And that just like put a whole other uh, validation. Uh, and this is for Cindy, and another time we can do this. important that we're covering uh, Miles Davis because whether it's Miles with Tony or Miles with Charlie Parker or Coltrane or anyone, uh, I, I think that there should be a requirement in that in in, in, uh, in Manhattan to have a store that is just placed Miles Davis and Coltrane and you walk in and you can hear their instruments and you hear their music and what they wore. Mm-hmm. If you can sell Beats, Beats uh, headphones in a, in a store that looks like you know, spank, spanking clean or Nike shoes, in Manhattan it should be Coltrane and Miles Davis mm-hmm. icons, and I'm talking T-shirts, I'm talking music, and if I if I can do it, I will do it. I, I'm going to create an icon store just for Coltrane and Miles, and of course <laughs> Charlie Parker, because people need to know in this this or any incarnation what it's like to be in the presence of someone of that stature uh, where uh, we all know that when Miles left the body, God said, hey, call Gabriel. Gabriel comes over, he says, give me the trumpet, man. It's a trumpet. Put the harmon mute in. Yeah. (laughs) He says, okay, you you see it. And Miles starts playing, da-da, that, you know, like that stuff on Bitcoin. Yeah. I mean, to me, that's if if I had the funds to do it, I would create a different kind of Miles Davis movie where people would know without the shadow of a doubt that he's right there with Da Vinci, Michelangelo, Einstein, and Tesla, a genius, 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 genius. You know, and that's how we feel about it. And this is why we play his music all the time in our home. <laughs> so Thank true. You. 
So true. I couldn't agree more. We will have to have both of you on our Miles Monday live stream where all we do is celebrate Miles Davis with Vince Wilburn Jr., his nephew, and a lot of other people. That would be awesome. Awesome. Miles Monday, yeah. In the meantime, I can think of no better people to talk Miles with, to talk jazz with on a Friday night. Carlos, Cindy, this has been incredible. Thank you so much for the stories. Again, the new album, Give the Drummer Some, coming out September 18th, 2020. The singles are out right now. You can start streaming it, and uh, you can donate to Why Hunger. All these uh, singles have been released uh, for a good cause, and I encourage everyone listening to go out, pre-order the album, listen to those singles, donate to Why Hunger. Um, Both of you, thank you so, so much for doing this. I sincerely appreciate it. Thank Thank you. you. We appreciate it too. This is beautiful. Awesome. I will see you guys backstage. Uh, In the meantime, I'm going to sign off with everyone watching, uh, but thank you to you both. Have a great weekend. Thank you. So long. Wow. So Carlos Santana, Cindy Blackman Santana. Again, the album, Give the Drummer Son. It's Cindy's, Give the Drummer Some. It's Cindy's album. It's coming out September 18th. Features Carlos Santana on eight tracks and John McLaughlin on a couple tracks as well. Uh, this has been the Jazz's Last Call. I hope you've enjoyed watching. If so, follow us on Facebook. Subscribe on YouTube. Hit that notification bell so you always know when we're coming to you live. Uh, that'll do it for this episode. I'm Brian Zimmerman. Thanks for watching, everyone. We will see you next week. So long.